Hi, you're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Impact Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. I'm Pastor Brandon, the church planter and lead pastor. We are a new church in the D.C. area that is centered on the gospel and sent to our neighborhoods, Northern Virginia, and the nations. Please visit our website at www.impactfxbg.church. There, you'll find our current meeting times and locations. Our prayer is that you are encouraged by the message you hear today and fall more in love with Jesus and others. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Um, if I haven't met you, my name is Wes. I'm one of the pastors here at Impact, and I'm so excited to, to be able to share with you as we uh, finish up our summer series on Summer in the Psalms. Um, we have been doing uh, a lot of, of, I hope, a lot of good discussion in the Psalms and a lot of good things about what we've been talking about, um, and that has been about desiring God. Uh, over the past few weeks, we've used the Psalms to talk about and to examine the idea of what it means to desire God. And it's a good thing we did that because the Psalms are typically full of that kind of theme. It's that desire. Uh, we talked about what it means to desire God. We talked about, Mark brought a great message about what it means to live out a desire for God. And then uh, last week we talked about what desire for God is supposed to lead us to, or maybe even a lack of desire. They have, both have the same answer, and that's worship. So today I want us to um, kind of sum all of this up to bring us to a close by talking about what does desire lead us to? What, what does desire for God lead us to? And that's an invitation to experience him. So we're going to talk about what it means to experience God today. Um, have you ever been to a theme park? Anybody? Theme park? anybody? Um, I've, been, I've never been to Disney World. I've been to Disneyland. So I've been to the one in California, um, which I think is the superior one. We can talk about it later. It's fine. Um, uh, just because it's a lot smaller, it's a lot more comfortable. It's not quite as crazy uh, and not as hot. That's probably the key. It's not quite as humid over there. But whenever you go to a theme park, uh, what's the main thing that they try to do? They try to sell you an experience, right? They give you this immersive experience where you step in through the doors and all of a sudden you are no longer in Kansas anymore, Dorothy. You are in a new place. That's why um, Disney does this really well uh, because they did a lot of research. They found out how many steps it takes before somebody wants to throw trash on the ground. And at that step, they put a trash can. So you would have a trash can within reach whenever you're ready to throw trash. Um, they did research on what are the things and the smells that kind of lead you there, which is why they have little scent capsules that go off in different places to help you smell like you're in a different space. They give you and they sell you this immersive experience, and they're, they're pretty good at it, honestly. I mean, I don't know if you've paid to go to a trip to Disney, but your money is well spent on an immersive experience. It's a lot of money. Um, but we buy the experience because that's what we want, right? We want to experience something different. In my day job, I, I work at Germana, and I deal a lot with educational technology. And one of the things that we're looking at right now is virtual reality, augmented reality. And that's part of the same thing, too. It's selling you a, a different way to experience things. You put these goggles on. You have these sounds that are right here in your ear. They haven't quite got the scent down. Uh, I think that might be coming in the future. But all of a sudden, you're experiencing something very different. Anybody ever tried on VR goggles before? How quickly did you fall down? Okay, it's quick because all of a sudden your senses don't know how to process it and here you are in a different experience. See, the point is, is that as people, one of the things that we desire is experience. 
We want different things. It's why some of us are adrenaline junkies and can't wait to go ski or can't wait to go bungee jump or skydive. I'm still trying to convince Britter to let me do that. Um, even ride a motorcycle. Like it's one of those things that we want experiences. We want to feel things. And we do that because a lot of times we want to escape what we're in. We want to be in a different place. We want to try something new. Um, and it's because, for a lot of times, our lives don't match up to the things that we think that we should. So we look for it in an experience, and we want a sensation of something that's greater than ourselves. The point is, and why I talk about that for a minute, is the answer to that feeling is God. That's the answer. And the, and the reason that is, is because, like we talked about on our, our very first time when we were talking in Psalm 64, we have a, a, a deep desire that can only be met by him. And so therefore, the only way to meet that desire is for us to experience it, experience him. The thing is, though, is that unlike Disney World and VR goggles, God doesn't require us to buy anything. He doesn't require us to do anything other than just come. It's always an invitation. So if you have your Bibles today, I want you to turn to Psalms 34, and we're going to look at an invitation to experience him. That's uh, Psalm 34, Psalms right in the middle of the Bible. 34 is towards the beginning. If you don't have a Bible, this is your first day uh, with us. We're excited that you're here. Uh, may we recommend uh, a Bible app called YouVersion, Y-O-U Version, so that you can look up a version that's good for you. I know the cell service and the Wi-Fi in here is a little spotty because we're in a basement, but... Um, we encourage you to, to have that. If not, we all, we'll have it up here on the screen. But we're going to be in Psalm 34. Uh, if you're there, say, I'm there. Yes. All right, that sounds like a quorum, so we'll get started. <laughs> Psalm 34, beginning in verse 1, says, and I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. I sought our Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Well, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken." Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servant. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. The word of the Lord. 
when we, we read a psalm, and, and this is my personal preference, when we read a psalm, we read it all at once, because it's a poem, and we, we need to look at the whole thing, because the writer of the psalm is trying to tell us something. He's trying to give us an image, trying to call things up to mind to help us see what he's trying to say. Um, this psalm, Psalm 34, was written by David, and if, you, uh, if your Bible's like mine, there's a little note right at the top, and it says, uh, when he changed his behavior before Elimelech so that he drove him out and went away. That's kind of a random story. It's kind of fun. David pretended to be insane and crazy so that he got uh, kicked out of court so that they didn't kill him. So he, he pretended to be crazy. They kicked him out of court, and he's back on the run. His life is intact. And he writes this psalm, and it's, it's a great, glorious psalm. But when you look at context and circumstance, you're like, what are we doing, like David? What are we, what are we talking about? Why are we acting this way? And I think it all comes down to verse 8. So that's where we're going to start. We're going to start in the middle, and we're going to work backwards and forwards. So I uh, hope that doesn't stress anybody out. But look at verse 8. It says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. This verse is an invitation to experience God. That's what it is. And that's where David's at. He's ex- inviting and experiencing who God is. Because it's when we experience God that all these other things start to make sense. Uh, let's, let's break this down a little bit. The word taste here is not the same word that you and I use for taste. For example, you go out to dinner with friends, you order something, somebody looks and says, oh, that looks good, can I taste that? Anybody that happened to you? Or are you that person? Okay, I just need to know, if you're that person, uh, we just need to have some conversations beforehand so that I know what I'm getting into. Uh, it's always the same, though. Like you, or you, uh, I don't know if your family is like mine or, or you're like me, but you, we go to Chick-fil-A, and I've fallen in love with Chick-fil-A mac and cheese. Uh, it's one of the only restaurant mac and cheeses that I like because they actually do it right. Sorry, I have standards. Um, so we have Chick-fil-A mac and cheese, but then the smell of the French fry from the seat next to me just comes. Anybody? Anybody? This is why I'm a fat kid. It's okay. And so then I'm like, all right, can I have one of your french fries? And so, but that is a taste. That's how we describe taste, right? It's just a small little taste, okay? Or maybe you're on a diet and you're like, I'll just have a taste of ice cream and three pints later, here we are, okay? All right, that's not what this word means. This word doesn't mean to just nibble. It doesn't mean to just get a glimpse of. The word taste here is experiential, and it, it, defin- it actually means to perceive and examine by tasting. Okay, I want you to just settle that for a second, to perceive and examine by tasting. When we examine something by tasting, it's not because we just throw it in real quick, get the salt, and go, right? It's to examine, it's to savor, it's to take it in. That's the word here, taste the Lord. Taste and see. It's an experiential word inviting us to come in and actually see what God is all about. But it's not just to see God, where there's a purpose here. Taste and see that the Lord is what? That he's good. That's the purpose for this. That's what we're leading forward. And that word good in English is just a terrible word. We use it for everything, from good dog to good job to that tasted good or that was good. Like, we just use that word a lot. But the word here in Hebrew actually comes from the word for beautiful. Taste and see that the Lord is beautiful, that he is good, that he is kind. It's a statement of character, of nature, of who God is. So who is he? He is good. And when we experience God, that's the invitation to come in and experience who he is. 
It's because he is good that we get the rest of that verse. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Because when we experience him and we taste his goodness, when we know who he is, and then we take our refuge in him or we trust in him, we shelter in him, well, we're blessed, we're happy, we're content. See, I think that this verse is the linchpin for this whole psalm. You know what a linchpin is? A linchpin is where you take two pieces and you put them together and you put something to hold it together. That's a linchpin, all right? And the reason I say it's the linchpin is because this whole psalm is built around this idea of tasting and seeing that God is good. Everything before leads us up to it and everything after comes out of it. Because the whole idea of experiencing God comes from an invitation to taste him, to see that he is good. And we have to recognize that that is a definitive fact. It's not a question. There is no uh, perception or preconceived notion or anything from us that changes the fact that God is good. And when we taste and experience and examine him for who he is, and we see more and more of how good he is, then we see more and more of how his goodness is the direct cause of our happiness, of our blessedness. So everything today kind of builds from that moment. So I wanted us to start there. So if you're taking notes on your response card, and I hope that you are, that's why they're there. There's a notes section on it. I want you to write this down. Desiring God leads to experience. And we experience his goodness. That's not up there for you, sorry. That's just me talking to you. <laughs> sorry, Mark. Um, when we back up to the beginning of the psalm, though, let's see about how we get to this point of experience, because it's all there. The very first part of the psalm, the first you know, six or seven verses or so, are really just declarations of worship. Will you look at it with me? It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. That's worship. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. That's worship. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. That's worship. Uh, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. These are declarations of worship. And they connect us to what we were talking about last week. If you remember, we talked about that worship is the answer to the question of what do I do with this desire? What am I supposed to do with it? Well, I worship the Lord. Because when we desire God, when we worship him, when we seek after him, then we experience him. We get to know him. Um, I I love verse 4 here, because look what it says. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. Do you know how big of a statement that is? Like how how really monumental that statement is? David singing from a place of worship on the run for his life, and he says, I sought the Lord, and he found me. He answered me. The thing is, is that God answers him, and then he continues, says, delivers me from all of my fears. And that's something that we can worship the Lord over when we are found by the Lord. See, we we recognize that this is truth. The desire of God leads us to worship, and worship leads us to experience. Those things are all linked together. We can't do one without the other. And if we're in a place, if you today are in a place where maybe you don't feel that desire for God, you're not experiencing his presence, you're not experiencing his goodness, you feel far from him, Can I invite you with the same statement? Can you come and taste and see that the Lord is good by worshiping him? 
Last week, we, we talked about what worship is, and we, we did all of that. And we talked about how worship really is where we turn our mind's attention and our heart's affection towards God, towards something. So I want to encourage you today, as we continue, there's an invitation here to worship, to turn our minds and hearts towards him, because he is worth it. He's worth our attention, and he's worth our affection. This linchpin, though, of verse 8 switches gears afterwards. All of a sudden, we go in a different place. We were having these great declarations of worship, this, this exclamation of, oh, taste and see, this great invitation. And then we, we get to this different part where I, the psalmist kind of becomes instructive. David, like, switches gears. He, he turns from this guy of so the worship leader to the pastor is kind of what happens. This is, this is where this goes on. Um, when we get to verse 9, what we see are two different things happening in the rest of the psalm. He's instructing us on two different things. The first one is, what is our response? If we're going to experience God, what should our response be? And the second one is just a, a further declaration of God's good character. So we're going to look at those together. The first one, though, uh, that we're going to start with is, what's our response? We, we're invited to experience him. If we experience him, what's our response to that? Okay, um, it's really easy. It's in verses 9 and 10. It says, O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So, what's our response to the Lord? You fear him and you seek him. And that's it. We can go home because it's that simple. Uh, just kidding. Um, it sounds really simple, right? It's easy. It's easy, right? Just fear the Lord and seek him. Those aren't easy things. Simple but not easy. Because what does it mean? What does it look like for us to fear the Lord? I'm really glad you asked that question because David answers it in verse 11. He says, come children, listen to me and I'll teach you what it means to fear the Lord. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Sounds simple, right? Sound really simple. You, you keep your tongue from evil. So don't, don't talk about bad things check. Um, keep your lips from speaking deceit. Don't lie. Check. Okay. Turn from evil. Okay. I can, you know, turn from evil. I turn off of 95. I'm turning away from evil, right? Turn from evil. Um, uh, do good. Okay. Like I can do good. I can seek peace, pursue peace. That's what it means to fear the Lord. So just go do those things and we're good. Hmm. Can we, can you make it a day? doing all that? If, if you can, talk to me after, because uh, I want to figure out your secret, because I know that I can't. That it's not something that is easy. Simple, maybe, but not easy. We have to remember that these things that we're being asked to do, what it means to fear the Lord, they go against our very nature. For all the way back from Genesis 3, at the beginning of sin, we are quick to do the opposite of these things. Why? Because we are quick to declare that we are the gods of our own lives, and we get to decide what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's evil. These actions listed here require us to be humble. They require us to deny ourselves and to seek the best of others before our own. That's what it means to, to fear the Lord. The thing is, though, is that this isn't just in this psalm. Jesus picks up this in the New Testament. Would you turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 9? 
In Luke chapter 9, Jesus is, is talking to his apostles, his disciples. He's uh, doing ministry, and he's uh, performing miracles. He's just uh, fed the 5,000 with a couple of loaves and a couple of fish. He's, he's doing amazing things. But in Luke 9, beginning in verse 23, Jesus gives his disciples a hard message. And I want us to look at it together. And he said to all, this is Jesus talking, if anyone would come after me, so if you want to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Jesus gives his disciples a hard message in the middle of his ministry and his discussion because he wants them to know exactly where we're headed. He wants them to know what's going to be required of them. And what's the requirement, what's the requirement here? To deny themselves. And not just to deny themselves, but to not deny themselves to the point that they are willing to take up their cross. Now, for you and I, on this side, very far removed from the Roman Empire, that statement of taking up cross is like, okay, like I can put on a cross necklace, or like I can or like put a cross up in my house. Uh, when Britta and I lived in Texas for a short time, there was a thing called a cross wall. You walked in somebody's house, they just have a wall of crosses. Like, it was a thing, right? That, that's what that means. no. For Jesus' audience, this would have been a scandalous statement. It would be like us saying something similar to take up your electric chair. Because it was a form of execution for criminals, the cross was. And what Jesus is saying, the point that he's making, is that we deny ourselves to the point of death because that's what it means to follow him. We deny ourselves to the point that we are willing to give everything else up because he is better than all that. That's the point. That's what he's saying. And that's what the psalmist, that's what David's saying in Psalm 34. If we want to truly live a life of experiencing God and his goodness, there is a requirement that we are living out a life of self-denial and following Jesus. Because it's in the life of seeking Jesus first. That's where we find happiness. That's where we find contentment, blessing, and joy, and purpose. That's where we find him and experience him. Sounds really simple, right? Fear the Lord. Seek him. Um, but it's not easy. <laughs> I said it was easy, and it's not. And that's why our response to this call to experience God is only those two things, to fear him and to seek him. But we have to recognize that those two things encompass our whole life. There's nothing outside of them. So we fear the Lord, we seek him. Got it. That's our response to experiencing him. And I, I have my 10-year-old my son in my ear. Why? Why? Why should I? What's the purpose? What's the plan? Why do I do that? What makes following Jesus, what makes giving up all the things that I want for myself, what makes him so much better than what I can find? I'm really glad that you asked that question because the rest of the psalm is a declaration of God's character. Some of the things that we see in verse 10 is that he cares for us. Look at that. 
Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. That's a caring statement. Um, All the way down in verse 15, we see that he sees us. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous. He hears us. His ears are towards their cry. In verse 17, he delivers us. Uh, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. In verse 18, he's near to us. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And not only is he near, but he saves us. He saves the crushed in spirit. In verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of all of them. The Lord delivers us. In verse 20, he will not let us be broken. He keeps all of his bones. Not one of them is broken. In verse 22, he redeems us. The Lord redeems the life of his servant, and he will not condemn us. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Why is it good to fear the Lord and to seek him? Because he's the only one who can do all of those things. His character and who he is means he is the only one who can actually care for you. Because let me ask you a question. If you are not seeking the Lord and you are not living that life out and trying to care for yourself, how you doing? How's that working for you right now? Because if you're anything like me, on those moments where I tell the Lord, you know what, God, I got this. I can save myself. I think I'll be okay. I can't take two steps without falling down. You know what I'm saying? Because I can't save myself. I can't redeem myself. I can't heal myself. I can't keep myself from being broken. If I'm in charge of myself, more often than not, I find myself broken on the floor asking for help. David does this declaration for us in the rest of the psalm because we need to know if we're going to fear the Lord and we're going to seek him, who are we seeking after? We're seeking after a God who is good. Because above all things, we seek him because he is good. Because do you see his love? Do you see his compassion and his care for you? God doesn't ask you to give up the good things, the, the good things of this world for something that's lesser. He doesn't ask you to give up the things that you think make you who you are, the things that are fundamental to you, your pursuit of a good career or a good family or a good house or a good job or, or wealth, your pursuit of an identity that's different from your parents or different from other people. He doesn't ask you all of that, those things, because he is going to give you something lesser. He says, give all that junk up because it's garbage. And what I have for you is much, much better. That's what he asks you to do. God asks us to give up holding on to the garbage of our life and a life lived seeking our own way so that we can truly experience what it means to be loved and cared for and provided for the way that it was meant to be all the way back in Genesis chapter 1. He asks us to deny ourselves and live under him because he can care for us in ways that we can never care for ourselves. The best way for us to think about this is to think about it in terms of adoption. Jesus looks at us, and he sees us as what we are without him, orphans, without a home. And he says, I will adopt you and bring you in. Paul picks this up in Romans, uh, in Romans chapter 8. You don't have to turn there. Uh, But Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 13, it says, is that right? Romans 8, 13? Yeah, okay. All right. (laughs) For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
We're just going to stop there for a second and let that just sit. For if we live according to the flesh, meaning if we live according to our own ways, you will die. But if by the Spirit, meaning by God, by the Holy Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, put to death sin, you will live. There is life. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, sons and daughters. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may be glorified with him. Hear these truths today, church. If we live by the Spirit, if we live a life fearing and seeking God, we put to death the deeds of the body. We put to death sin and sinful pursuit. We do that. And we do that because when we do that, we live. And we can do that because we received a spirit of adoption. You were called a son or a daughter of God. Like, that's, that's it. That's who you are. If you need an identity today, can I offer you that one? You are called a son and a daughter of God. And by that spirit, you can cry out to him, Abba, Father. And that sounds really cool because it's Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and that stuff. Can I tell you in English what that says? That says you can cry out to God, Daddy. You can be the three-year-old toddler who's chilling in the kids' men right now, and as soon as they see their parent run up with arms up and saying, pick me up. That's the intimacy with which you are adopted into his family. And that spirit lives in you so that you can know that not only you are a child of God, a son or a daughter, but you are a co-heir with Christ. And that might sound weird, but let me just share something with you. That means that all the promises that God offers Jesus, he offers you. You are a co-heir. Because in Jesus, all the promises of God are yes and amen. That means that you get everything that God offers Jesus because he has adopted you. That's why we can look in that psalm where it says the Lord does all these things for the righteous and the redeemed, and those things apply to you because in Christ, that's who you are. You are redeemed. You are set free. You are made righteous. Not by anything you did, but by the free gift of grace in Jesus. See, we, we talk about experiencing God. That's what it is. That's what it means to experience him. It's to know the fullness of his character. It's to live as a son or a daughter of the Most High, a co-heir with Christ, and know that there is not one thing that this world can offer you that's better than that. However, there's a big old but right here in the middle. However, God doesn't force any of this on you. He doesn't tell you you have to. What he offers you is an invitation. Oh, come and see. Taste that the Lord is good. He's not going to make you come. Now, he can make things difficult <laughs> to show you that you need to come. But he's not going to make you. But he's going to invite you. I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and start making their way back up as we talk about this. Because this is an invitation because God is a loving God. He loves us. 
And while he knows what's best for us, he doesn't force us to come because by forcing us, that's a removal of love. He gives us a desire. He, he shapes us and forms us with this desire of, for him that can only be filled by him. And he calls us to come to him so that we, he can answer that desire with himself. But you may be thinking, Wes, this is really cool. It sounds very pretty and poetic. I love it. It's great. Go poetry. Go psalms. Um, what is this invitation? What does it mean to be invited to experience God? And how do I do that? Well, may I just plainly state that for you? An invitation to an experience, uh, the invitation to experiencing God is an invitation to the person of Jesus. That's who it is. Jesus, who was the one and only Son of God, came and lived a perfect, sinless life. And he did that, and he lived that life out that was full of experiencing who God is, the way that David's talking about in Psalms 34. Jesus probably sang that psalm when he was growing up. He lived that life out. And he did it by denying himself constantly. He denied himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, one of the most cruel execution tactics known to man. He denied himself to that point, and he was executed as a criminal for crimes he did not commit. The crimes committed were ours, mine, and yours, and every other person in the history and future of humanity. Jesus bore every single one of them on his shoulders on the cross, and he died, and he was buried in a tomb. But hear me, he didn't stay in a tomb. (laughs) He didn't. Three days later, he picked his life up again. He rose from the dead. He was resurrected. And that's why we can sit here and hear this word and have hope. Because Jesus didn't just rise and then die again. He rose and he rose on up. (laughs) He's seated at the right hand of God where he intercedes for us on our behalf and he comes again. See, this invitation to experiencing God is an invitation to have faith in that faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus so that you can find new life in him. It's a life freed from the slavery of sin, a life freed from addiction, a life freed from all of the things that hold us back, that try to fill up that desire in our hearts that only God can fill. Because it's an invitation to a life free to truly experience God. But it's always an invitation. Come, taste, see. Hi, Pastor Brandon here. Thanks again for listening to our Impact Church Sermon Podcast. If God has spoken to you today or you have a prayer request you'd like to share, please email us at hello at impactfxbg.church. If you're local to the Fredericksburg area, we would love to see you for worship in person. But if not, please let us know if we can help you find a gospel-centered church right where you're at. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram and on our website, www.impactfxbg.church. Until next time, keep living the dream.